0: You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Vera Bittner, president of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association.
1: Today we have the pleasure of having an interview with Ralph LaForge. Ralph LaForge is a clinical exercise physiologist at Duke University in the Department of Endocrinology and Senior Faculty Consultant to the U.S. Indian Health Service, Diabetes Division. Ralph and I have worked together many times in the past. He is a real leader in the area of exercise physiology, and he's going to talk to us about his interest in the Indian Health Service. So, Ralph, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show today. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the United States Indian Health Service and and what led you to get interested.
0: Well, thank you for the invitation, Dr. Brown. Oh my gosh, I lived in New Mexico for many years. I think I got affiliated with them about 15 years ago when we did live in Albuquerque and started a couple of projects. In the last five or six years, those projects formalized into an arrangement with the Diabetes Division of the Indian Health Service, which is actually based in Albuquerque on some very novel protocols to reduce the incidence of diabetes, number one, and, of course, cardiovascular disease, number two. So I've had maybe uh, 15 years' experience with them. It takes about maybe 30% of my time now.
1: So I assume that most people in the Southwest have some concept of the incidence of diabetes and metabolic disease in the American Indian population. But for those of us who are Midwesterners and don't have the same exposure, tell us a little bit about the scope of the problem and what is the incidence of metabolic syndrome in these patients?
0: When you average the latest 2008 data audit for all American Indians and Native Alaskans combined, it's through the same division of diabetes. It's about a 46% incidence of metabolic syndrome, both men and women combined. Men have a slightly greater incidence of metabolic syndrome, which is about 15% greater incidence than you have in all other populations combined in the United States. Obesity is about 40 to 50% more prevalent for any given age and gender in the Indian Health Service. Cardiovascular disease incidence is maybe 5 to 6% more prevalent. Diabetes is almost double the prevalence for any given age group or gender. And uh, especially uh, diabetes death rates are really quite a bit more prevalent for American Indians for any given age or gender. From a lipid disorder perspective, especially in diabetes and prediabetes, the issue has always been, quite high triglycerides, although that's coming down over the last 10 years from the audits that have been performed by the Indian Health Service. I think most people realize that diabetes is really the issue, and if we can control diabetes, we can probably reduce the incidence of vascular disease, and that's really what we're uh, aiming to do. So essentially, what I do is carve out a niche for how to get American Indian populations, along with not just myself and many other people, but... I've done quite a bit of work on this, on novel forms of physical activity and dietary interventions to get American Indians and Alaskan Natives more prevalently compliant with these behaviors.
1: So, Ralph, with that said, I've got a couple of questions for you. Before we go on to your novel protocols, why do you think the death rate from diabetes is higher in the American Indian population rather than the general population? Does it have something to do with their access to care for their diabetes, or is there some cultural issue that might have an effect on their ability to get treatment?
0: Absolutely. You just hit the nail on the head. Access to health care, which in some tribal units, they have very quick access to decent health care. Where there are others, you're talking 90 to 150 miles to the nearest uh, health facility, and oftentimes that's not even that's a facility that may have a nurse there although that is changing. So access to health care, social economic issues, the ability to afford better food, The access to quick-fix calories, the less than what used to be access to more ambulatory activities where they were hunter-gatherers, as you can imagine, and the Alaskan natives were more kayakers and fish more, had the kayak for their fish. That's been reduced to four-wheelers and dish antennas, and it doesn't take a nuclear scientist to realize that both environment gene interactions, access to health care and not as physically active and more access to quick fix calories really all mixed together.
1: Okay, so keeping that in mind I assume that you had to deal with not only the treatment protocols that you developed that I want to ask you more about now, but also how to deal with maybe the cultural issues about whether they trust the healthcare system and how to get them access when they're a distance from a healthcare facility. So with that said Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the novel treatment protocols that you've developed and and how they work and how you integrate them into the American Indian Health Service?
0: Well, one thing the diabetes division is doing right now, we're just online with this now, and the training for most of the health care providers and the mid-levels and the CDEs, just now starting. One is what we call domestic physical activity circuits. That is arranging what they have to do around the yard, community, or the house, and to organize systematic programs such that two to four times per week for two hours, nonstop, they do utilitarian work from sweeping, pushing, pulling, cleaning, yard work, garden work, etc., without stopping, only taking maybe a minute between each, as you call station or activity, and then organizing that such that over the course of a week, they do that to the point where they're actually expending uh, anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 calories a week, which is exactly what we want them to do, versus telling them to go, And we learned this from many other populations, going to the gym and pedaling a bike or walking on the treadmill for an hour three times a week, which doesn't always get complied with and, of course, is not very utilitarian. So we have uh, protocols that are actually exercise prescription forms. It's a circle of squares, and each of those squares the provider writes in domestic activities, commensurate with what their needs are for the culture, for the community, for the individual. And the patient actually imbibes in that protocol at least two times a week, starting for about 45 minutes and eventually doing a couple of hours of labor and getting something accomplished other than just the calories expended in the process.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host. Our guest today is Ralph LaForge, clinical exercise physiologist at Duke University in the Department of Endocrinology and senior faculty consultant to the United States Indian Health Service Diabetes Division. So, Ralph, that's fascinating. It sure makes sense to try and have activities that also are productive instead of maybe running in place on the treadmill. I'm sure that's something that we could all probably benefit from. Tell me a little more about the physical activity issue and maybe what some of the barriers are and, and what you've learned from working with this group of patients.
0: Well, of course, the barrier always is your psychic energy level to motivate yourself to get out and do these things. What we figured is domestic activities you got to do anyway. Somebody's got to do them. Somebody's got to mow the grass. I mean, that's my neighborhood. I'd rather get me to mow the grass than a teenager down the street. That's the concept. So you've got to do things anyway, both uh, the spouses and, of course, the family. And if you systematically organize in such a way, you can actually get fairly fit from it. We learned this from a University of Iowa study, oh gosh, 20 years ago. They gave me the idea and actually showed versus just like treadmill walking or stationary cycling, they got as fit and actually slightly more fit in terms of energy expenditure than the uh, treadmill walking group. As I said, you've got something accomplished as well. The other thing that's even, I think, more novel Again, trying to get them to walk more, as Ralph DeFranco said many, many years ago, before he helped basically put metformin on the um, for prescription medicine for diabetes. If he could have got his uh, diabetes patients to walk, he wouldn't have had to uh, co-invent glucophage or metformin because they both work similarly. And I, I always stuck with me. And what I essentially had done with this idea is that uh, walking being met formally equivalents per step, as long as it's intentional walking, and it's not just shuffling, but intentional walking, especially outdoors, is we are now developing three to ten different treks, walking distant treks around the pueblos and reservations, each particular tribal unit. And each of these treks go from, it might be a low-level trek of a half of a mile all the way up to eight miles. And uh, they're what we call pedometer treks. So each of the treks are not only gauged by distance, but by steps. So the provider actually prescribes the trek, just like the provider might prescribe a TZD or a pyoglitazone or metformin. They would actually prescribe the trek. And the trek is an undulating, if you know most American Indian communities, not all, but most are in just absolutely beautiful environments, geographic environments, many are in the southwest, that have quite a bit of land, and most have prefabricated trails of one sort or another that we measure out for these treks. And uh, one way to get them compliant with the trek is not just the outdoor activity, but we're beginning to have some of the American Indian elders help us with trekking some of these pathways through even spiritual or sacred sites, and I don't do this, that they actually set this up such that the trek actually becomes more meaningful than just out there for walking sake or just prevention sake. So one thing we're right on the cusp of now is in a couple of the Native or American Indian communities is pedometer treks through, let me just say, sacred lands that have particular areas that have very, very special spiritual meaning to that particular tribal unit.
1: Well, that's fascinating. So in the last five minutes or so, then let's talk about where the rubber meets the road. What have the results been from your efforts and, you know, what can you tell us about that? And then I'm going to ask you what we can learn for the whole population from your work with the United States American Indian Health Service.
0: Well, it's everything. We don't have hard clinical outcomes yet other than we have seen, and keep in mind, these more novel strategies have been executed only for the last year and a half or so, even though we've used other programs to precede these. But one thing that we've seen because of the providers and the Indian Health Service has been much more erudite about managing lipids and body weight, et cetera. we've seen a very progressive drop in both LDL and triglycerides. From 1997 through 2009, we've seen an average of triglycerides in a diabetic patient, for instance, being over 260, and now it's right at about, probably on average, about 170 or maybe a little bit less With the addition of the uh, energy expenditure physical activities, we hope it will be more because of more body weight being reduced. So from a lipid and lipoprotein perspective, I can speak more to that. We've seen a stabilization of body weight gains. We've had small losses in body weight, but we've not seen any more increases in BMI. It's already flattened out and beginning to decrease. That's the first time we've seen that in a decade. So I think we've got a pretty good uh, head start on what's going on, but we haven't really unveiled more of these novel programs until actually this next month in October, which will uh, be on their website. What I think it means for the big picture is something we've been talking about, the National Lipid Association through the Cardiometabolic Risk Program for a couple of years, and that is with or without weight loss, for instance, there's more than enough data to support Exercise and making better dietary choices reduces your risk of cardiometabolic disease, specifically diabetes. Now, if there's commensurate weight loss, you obviously reduce the uh, risk even more. What we're trying to show is not having the only outcomes measure for these particular programs for pre diabetes and diabetic patients is being just body weight changes or BMI changes being the only outcome that we report that dictate success or no success, we've turned that around to be the primary Tier 1 outcomes should be behaviors, that is the activity itself, the step counts on a pedometer, the better dietary choices, the fewer what we call quick fix calorie encounters per week. We're starting to look at those rather than just absolute all or none BMI changes, and I think that's going to be a a much better mark of success in the next uh, decade.
1: Well, thank you very much, Ralph. I think also doing uh, exercise that's also productive for your day-to-day needs is something we can all learn from, too. So I greatly appreciate it. You bet. We've been talking with Ralph LaForge, clinical exercise physiologist at Duke University in the Department of Endocrinology and senior faculty consultant to the U.S. Indian Health Service Diabetes Division. Thank you
0: for listening to Lipid Luminations presented by the National Lipid Association. For more
1: information, visit www.lipid.org.